Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris or Velosos, and today is So Over 50 Thursday. Now grab a cuppa and relax with us. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. It's Thursday and it's So Over 50 Thursday and today we've got a really lovely guest, Today, you'll love the fact that we've both got different accents. I'm sitting here in my sewing studio in Sydney, Australia, and our guest today is sitting in her home in Ireland, and we're going to be talking to Sheila O'Kelly. So hi, Sheila. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hi, Maria. Thanks for having me. I'm really honoured to be here. I'm really glad that we could tee up this time together. I've watched you on Instagram for quite a while. Sheila, how can we find you on Instagram? My Instagram handle is Sheila.O'Kelly and my blog is SheilaO'Kelly.com, all one word, no apostrophe. You know, I think you're probably one of the few guests that we've had on the podcast who's been able to use their name as is, as their Instagram name. I had a, a business website for a long time and I'm kind of semi-retired now, so i kidnapped that from the business and transferred it to my sewing. That's great. Now that uh, people have heard your accent, would you like to describe where you live? I I live in Ireland. I'm from Dublin, which is the capital city where I lived until six years ago when we moved to rural Ireland. So we're now in County Wexford, which is about 50 miles or 65 kilometres south of Dublin city. And we're from the heart of the city into the absolute middle of the countryside. Do you travel to and from the city by train? No, you can, but actually it's faster to drive. But I've worked from home for the last 20 years. I'm a freelance journalist by profession. And my husband works four days a week, two days in Dublin and two days from home. Normally, now COVID, he's at home all the time. Since we moved from Dublin, I hardly ever go there. I can't stand the crowds anymore. Oh, it's a lovely city. It is, yeah. We go to visit family. Uh, how did you start sewing? My mum sewed all her own clothes and a lot of clothes for me and my sister and her mother sewed. But And when I was small, I sewed clothes for my doll by hand. And then a little later on, I learned to do the sewing machine. But I didn't do very much sewing. It was really my mom was the one who sewed and that was her passion. I was very aware of fabric. I remember going to fabric shops with her and she was passionate about good quality fabric. And in those days, the carpet came in wide strips that were sewn together. And she used to get down on the floor using the seam to find the grain line in the cloth. <laughs> really? Yes. So she was meticulous. I now have her sewing machine. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. I sewed a few dolls clothes. Later on, my children were small. I sewed a few very, very simple children's little pants and things like that. And then I was working full time at small children. So I couldn't sew for a long time. Then I started sewing cushions and bags. And I made loads and loads of bags. And I used an, an excellent book called The Bag Bible by Amy Tan. But it was only when my mom died in 2016, the year after 2017, that I started sewing clothes. I think maybe I was intimidated by her skill or something. I don't know. I had tried something 
And I remember trying a skirt with a wide Basque waistline and a gathered skirt. And I put the Basque waist on upside down. At the time, I didn't have the patience. So <laughs> I seem to have more patience now. The huge thing as well is YouTube and the internet. And now if you have a question, you type it into Google and you'll get an answer. Yeah, you'll get a whole variety of answers. You'll get a whole variety of answers. Print, YouTube, everything, and you get to know your favorites. And that was a big game changer for me because I like to do things well and I like to see how it should be done. And then, of course, when I started sewing, I went to Vogue because my mom always used Vogue patterns. But there was quite a lot of size limitations for me as a curvier sewer. Mm. So I discovered cashmere, and that really got me going because all of their patterns were within my size range. That gave me a good start. What was your first favorite cashmere pattern? The first one I made was a Concord t-shirt. And I remember looking at that and how you put the sleeves on and staring and staring and staring at the diagram because you know the way the curves go the opposite way kind of thing yeah that was so new to me and it's hard to imagine that now because I could do it in my sleep (laughs) but at the time I said what how does that work and then doing it and it did work so that was amazing and then the next one for me was the Turner dress Mm -hmm. which I made oh I made six or seven of those a dress I could make and I could wear it And then I discovered narrow shoulder adjustments because, in fact, the shoulders in in cashmere are too wide for me. Yeah. So I learned about grading from, I discovered by emailing them, they're very helpful. I need to go down in size of the shoulders and grade out from there. Yeah, cashmere was a great help to get started. That's a good news story to me. Yeah. (laughs) When you find a pattern company, that has the shaping that suits you and that is also just as helpful too. Yes, their instructions are really, really good. And I'm a visual person, so they have lots of images. I was a complete raw beginner then. The other thing I learned just by Ron Cashmeret, which I use over and over again, the Montrose woven blouse, how they do their bias binding. I just love it because you don't have to measure it and sew it together first. And then, oh, maybe it's too big and maybe it's too small. You just use a strip that's longer than your neckline. Mm-hmm. You, you start with the tail, you keep sewing around. And then when you have a few inches left, I iron it over to get the right size. And then you sew it and then you finish it off. <laughs> when you find a technique that works every single time, then keep it. Don't change it. Yes, it's great. Are there any lessons that you've learned that you'd like to share with our listeners? Because that's one of them. Yeah, that's one of them. Bias binding again. And to me, I don't understand why everybody doesn't love this. But Sewing Like Mad, the blogger, she has a thing about using bias binding without ironing it first. I can't use those little things where you feed it in and it folds over the fabric to do all the folds. My fingers are too clumsy or something. Also, I get a piece of fabric that's about 24 inches square. And I cut my strips from that because I can't be doing with tiny, tiny little strips. So then I put them on card from shortest to longest. And then I pick out my strips according to what I need. And 95% of the time, I don't even need to sew two strips together because they're the right size. Like I made the the Mona and Broad Shoalhaven jacket. That has a long seam at the back and a long seam here that is Hong Kong bound. 
and I didn't need to join any strips at all. And the piece of fabric I used to make the bias binding was 24 inches square. So I used the short pieces for the shoulders yep. and for the cuffs and then judiciously pick out the length of strip you need. And again, when you don't iron, I find you don't need to pin when you're putting it on. I hold it up against the edge and guide it with my fingers. And then, of course, you do a lot of ironing with it at the sewing stage. So then you, you sew it on, iron it over and then orange again underneath but anyway to me that takes all the tedium out of bias binding and I actually really enjoy it that's a really clever way of using every single piece yeah oh okay <laughs> can keep that lesson do you have any others the other thing that I use over and over again is Kenneth King's method for doing invisible zips so he has a video if you google that and I actually go back to the video quite often because I forget how to do it and that is absolutely foolproof and easy and very well explained. And then Megan Nielsen, how to add inseam pockets to anything. When I was starting off doing inseam pockets, my trouble was that one of them might be a quarter of an inch higher than the other when I'm joining the back to the front. So what she has me do is you lay your front skirt out right side facing up and the back side right side facing up and you line up the pockets then beside each other. So you can see that they're absolutely beside each other. And then you split them around and do the other side. And even if you miss the pattern notches, if you do them like that, they're going to be exactly in the right position. Yeah. It's such a simple idea. I find it really helpful. For sewing boiled wool, I've made the Mona and Broad boiled wool jacket and Leela has lots of excellent videos. I followed her one for how to overlap seams with boiled wool. You know, that you don't do them normally because they'd be too thick. You kind of lap them over and do that. So then when I was making the LB pullover from Paper Theory, it's probably the thing that I have made more than anything else. When I was making sleeveless boiled wool versions of that, I used the technique I learned from Muna and Broad on how to sew boiled wool. Sounds like a very good technique. Oh, yeah. And then I've started putting in a lot of, sometimes with a pattern, it doesn't have pockets, but I don't want to spoil the line of the side seams by putting in any way fitted dress. I don't like side seam pockets yep. and I don't want to spoil the line of the front with patch pockets. So I've put in zipped welt pockets without a welt. And that's from the bag Bible because I made lots of bags and tried to sell them and didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. And they all had pockets on the inside. So I had done that so many times that um, I thought, oh, I could do that in clothes too. That also keeps the fabric flat against you and you don't have the gaping of side seam pockets. Exactly. And while I do top stitch around the top line and for about two inches either side to, so it doesn't flap around the place but that's just another technique I assumed that because you've done a lot of sewing of bags that your zipper game would be really good well I never did invisible zips on the cushions I ah. always just did the, the normal seam you know either one halfway across the back or in the side seam and they were just normal you know they weren't uh, invisible zips for those, a technique I used for those that I learned early on and I still use is you sew the whole seam closed first, but for the first few inches, I sew it at a normal stitch length until you get to where your zip is going to be. Then you change it to your longest stitch and then go back to short stitch again. And that way, you know, you get a perfect overlap. 
anyway, that's another technique I used all the time. Have you tried the exposed zippers? No, they look quite difficult. They do, don't they? Pattern Union have a new lovely little Chanel type jacket out, and which I have the pattern and just haven't got around to making it yet. And while I suppose it wouldn't be quite an exposed zip in that as such, because it would be up the center of the front, but I was thinking of doing a chunky zip in one of those. You could do that. Have you ventured into sewing active wear? Yes, I have only lately really, and I have made several leggings, but the one that I find work really well for me are the Avery leggings from Helen's Closet. They are so comfortable. They have a gusset in them which is really easy to do. And they just fit me really well. I've tried several fabrics, bamboo jersey. I find the best in those. And then tracksuit pants. I've made the Mel pants from Seamwork. They're very good. Again, they fit me. And I have made some sweatshirts. I wasn't really mad about any of them. I'm not a very active wear person, really. I'm planning to make more of the Avery leggings so that I can make shorter summer dresses and wear them colored leggings with the dresses. <laughs> That's a good idea. What's your go-to pattern when you're feeling stressed? It would be the LB pullover or the Wixton shift dress because I can make both of those without looking at the instructions. They're very wearable. Yeah. I'm just experimenting at the moment. I have a very, very light wool suiting and I'm doing a hack on the Wixton shift with a skirt added, bodice cut and a two-tier skirt added. They have a hack on their blog for one-tier skirt and I thought, ah, I'm sure I'll add a second tier. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So you see, I've never worn a tier skirt, but I see these everywhere at the moment. And I thought, well, I really want to try that. So I'll just try it. Oh, I look forward to seeing that on Instagram. I'm dying to see what it looks like. Today is uh, Over 50 Thursday. So how did you find the So Over 50 account? I just stumbled across it. And Sandy has an amazing knack for making contact with people. And you feel as if you know her. <laughs> but then she must be in contact with thousands of people. Yes. But she's, she's just very, she must work for all the hours that God sends because uh, she responds to everything and she lets you know about things that are significant. And when my account was hacked, it was Sandy who alerted me to the fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> and also Instagram, I didn't know how to do stories at first and Sandy talked me through how to do that. And yeah, she's amazing. And of course, it's lovely to see lots of of people your own age otherwise we wouldn't be there I think the nice thing about having sober 50 is that while we've gone through this long period of being isolated we've been able to keep in contact with each other definitely yes I mean the two groups that are most important for me through the sewing that have encouraged me and inspired me have been uh, the sew over 50 and the curvy collective so the the two together kind of cover <laughs> everything are you fairly active in the curvy collective as well I'm on the facebook page i post a lot on the curvy collective facebook page and that's all really but you kind of get to see familiar names and that kind of thing there yeah if there are listeners out there who are still wondering if they should join the so over 50 account what advice would you give them 
I would say it definitely do. It's just so useful to see other people your own age wearing clothes that you're interested in. And also they'll have a life experience that's probably similar to what you have. And they're always very helpful with advice or if you have any questions. So it's a really good way to get chatting to people and get inspiration for what your next sew is going to be. That's right. They're lovely and they're available 24-7 no matter where you live. And there's such a huge array of us all, all from different walks of life, just sharing our sewing journey. Yeah, it's great. Because otherwise, if you look elsewhere, you won't see that many people over 50. Because of the hard work that both Judith and Sandy have put in for the last two or more years now, 24-7, and with help of Susan Young as their blog writer and with all of the guest contributors who are always putting up stories to keep us all engaged about issues that they love to share with us. Yes. I mean, who else can we talk about sewing to? If people don't sew, it's very, very boring for them. <laughs> yeah. You get used to that glazed over look when you start talking to a non-sewer. We were just starting in Ireland to have meetups, sewing meetups. And I went up to Dublin for one because it's so nice to meet people in real life and talk to them about sewing. But then COVID happened and that was the end of that, you know. So, Well, hopefully the COVID situation eases up one day and we can have our meetups again. Yes. Ireland is a very small country, but over the last few years, seven or eight little one-woman businesses have set up supplying fabric and really high quality fabric and a good range so we're we're extremely lucky to have them and the first one i think was made in dressfabrics.ie made set up about five years ago but since then i know about seven or eight so there's probably about a dozen so we're very lucky to have that especially with brexit and everything because that's affected and um, that's been a great development here that is Some of them specialize in different fabrics and actually all of them, you can go there by appointment, which I don't normally bother because, you know, they're reliable. Their stuff is reliable and, you know, so we're we're very lucky like that. Oh, that's wonderful news for the people who live in Ireland. Yeah. That's a really great note to end on then. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on to Sew Over 50 Thursday. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Sew Organised Style Podcast for Sew Over 50 was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Sheila O'Kelly, sound by bedsound.com. You can subscribe to Sew Organised Style Podcast, spelt with an S, not a Z, on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Stitcher, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and all good podcast distributors. Make sure you listen to the previous Sew Over 50 podcast and you'll hear from great people from the Sew Over 50 community on Instagram. Post any questions or suggestions you have on our podcast website at seworganisedstylepodcast.com, on our Instagram style account, or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.